Thank you. It is a great privilege to continue this study in the book of Galatians. You're right. Hey, get the books of the Bible mixed up because you're in the word. That's okay, right? Um, It's a privilege to share with you and um, Pastor Caleb will be back next week with us. But in the meantime, Man, I get to say what I want, right? And so, uh, no, just kidding. Um, It is a privilege to share from the word of God. It is a great passion of mine to do so. Normally I get to do so with our students and we just got back from summer camp last Sunday. Actually, you might've seen us out there. We looked very tired and raggedy, but uh, we made it. We had an awesome summer camp with 37 students came and it was an awesome time. Um, So anyway, all that to say today, I get to share with you, and this is an awesome privilege. And we've just been plugging away at the book of Galatians. And it's amazing when you get into the word, how rich it is, right? And even though we're only in chapter five, like it's taken us a while to get here, but it's been so good. And Galatians, really, we've seen this theme is that The good news of Jesus is the answer to our broken world. Throughout every chapter, it always is coming back to that theme, that the good news of Jesus is the answer. In a world where everything is broken, we look everywhere and we see brokenness. The good news is that through our faith and our trust in Jesus, we can flourish, even though everything around us is broken. And the good news of Jesus is that Jesus took upon himself our sins. He took upon himself everything that he did not deserve, right? Even though he lived a sinless, a blameless life, he took upon what we would do, what we would choose, and he took it all on the cross. And because of him taking that, the power of sin was broken. He rose from the dead, and so the power of death was broken, and then he gives us an opportunity to spend eternity in this flourishing life with him. And that is the good news. And that is the answer for our broken world. And so Paul has been talking about the good news and he's been talking about freedom. Last week, Pastor Kenny shared about our freedom in Christ. And what Paul is talking about is, man, we have this awesome freedom, right? We have this opportunity to flourish amongst brokenness. Now, what do we do as Christians with our freedom. And I remember probably the moment where I had the most freedom. I feel like this was probably the the main moment where I felt so free was getting my driver's license, right? Like you get your driver's license and you're like, wait, I can go anywhere? Like I just remember feeling like I could go anywhere and no one is gonna know. Back then there was no find my friends. So my, my parents couldn't track where I was, but I I was like, man, I can just go anywhere. This is amazing. This is so much freedom. And that amazing freedom can be used for good things or bad things, right? And that's the freedom that we have as Christians. We can use our freedom in certain ways, and we want to use them how God wants us to use our freedom. And so we're going to look, um, jump back in where we left off in verse 16 in uh, in the chapter 5 of Galatians. Okay, so this says... Verse 16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. 
And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So Paul is describing what the Christian life should look like. We have this sinful nature that wants to do evil, but that's the opposite of what the spirit wants for us. That's the opposite of the flourishing life that's available. And so these forces are constantly at battle. And for Christians, the way through this, what Paul is directing us to is that Christians live continuously by the direction of the Holy Spirit. For Christians, we live continuously by direction of the Spirit. And so to break it down, if you're like, who's the Holy Spirit? Like, what is this? Like, what is this? Well, the first thing is the Holy Spirit is a who. The Holy Spirit is a person. So as Christians, we believe that there's one God. There is one God, but there are three distinguishable persons within God. So there's Father, there's Son, and their spirit. They share equally every divine characteristic. So when we talk about how God is all powerful, we say there's nothing that our God can't do. God is all powerful. That is shared father, son, and spirit. God, the father is not the all powerful one. And then the son is not all powerful. That's equally shared between them. But each of them fulfill distinct functions in the work of salvation. Each of them have different roles that they play, but they work together. They don't have like different missions. They don't have like, oh, well, the father says, I'm gonna go do this. And the spirit says, I'm gonna go do, like they all are working together in community. And so when Jesus, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I am going to send you a helper. I'm gonna send you the Holy Spirit who is going to empower you to do even greater things, even greater things. And so as believers, living our lives under direction of the Holy Spirit gives us access to wisdom, gives us access to do even greater things as Jesus said. And I know that that can sound kind of weird, like, man, living spirit, like, I don't really, this sounds a little mystical, but it's actually a gift to us as Christians. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, Paul says, for who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Paul gets it, right? He's like, man, who can understand God? Like, this is, this is a little mystical. This is a little weird. But we, as Christians, we get the mind of Christ. And so we have the ability to draw on that same strength that Jesus had, the strength to resist sin, the strength to resist temptation, the strength to walk in power, seeing miracles, seeing God's power poured out. We have that same strength because we have the mind of Christ and we're walking with the spirit. And I think sometimes we get this a little wrong when we talk about the spirit because a lot of times we talk about the Holy Spirit as if the Holy Spirit is a feeling, right? We're like, man, did you feel, did you feel the spirit? 
right? Like, did you feel that? And the spirit can be felt, that's, so, that's very true, but that's not the basis for the work of the spirit in our life, right? If we base our faith and our relationship with God on a feeling, that's not gonna lead us down a good path, right? The work of the spirit primarily is speaking through the Bible. The spirit speaking through the Bible, the spirit is speaking through prayer, the Spirit speaks through a community of believers when we gather together, when we worship. The Spirit speaks through even relationship with one another. And all of those things, all those feelings, all of those thoughts, all of those moments, they're all measured against the Word of God. That's so important when we talk about the Holy Spirit. We measure what we're feeling, what we're sensing, what we're hearing against the Word of God. And so while Christians, we continuously seek to live according to the Holy Spirit, we live under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we can all still relate to that struggle that Paul's talking about, right? When he's talking about the struggle of the sinful nature versus the spirit, we can all relate to that. We all have that struggle, the struggle to do opposite of what we know to be right, where we know God is calling us to. And that's because of the sinful nature. That's because of that nature inside of us. And really the, the simple way to kind of define sinful nature is given the choice to do God's will or our own will, all of us at some point, our most natural response is to choose our own will, right? We see this at the, the easiest picture of this is children, right? No one has to train a child to be selfish. Right, you do not have to teach that. They naturally are selfish, right? My toy, no, I don't wanna do what you asked me to do, right? Like those are the most natural things for a child because that's a sinful nature. And sin affects every part of us. It affects even down to our intentions, like Paul says, even the desires that we have. And sometimes we can't even detect it because it feels natural. It feels natural because it's in our nature. It's in our sinful nature. And Paul explains this further in the next few verses. In verse 19, he says this. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Buckle up, here we go. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list of every sin that could ever exist, that has ever existed, right? But, but this is quite comprehensive. We all can identify with some kind of sin that's on that list. And when we look at this list, we see plainly the brokenness, right? We see those things. And, and they can be words on a list, but they can be things that have broken families, right? We see that word greed on a list, but how often 
has that just torn apart a family. We see sexual immorality on a list, but how often has that ruined a marriage? Like these things cut deep. These are more than just a list, and we see the brokenness that results from those things. We don't want those things in our life, right? We don't wanna be like, oh yeah, when I think of Susie, I think of selfish ambition, right? That's horrible. I don't wanna be known by anything on that list. But when we follow the desires of our own nature, when we follow what feels natural to us, this is the results, is what Paul says. Apart from God, this is where our hearts will lead us. And sin is just that, it's separation from God. It's pursuing your life without God. And this is what happens. And it's funny because I think sometimes these things in our society are framed as freedom, even. Like, oh yeah, your 20s, that's the time for wild parties, right? Like that's framed as freedom, but it's slavery. It's framed as freedom, but it's not freedom at all. It's the opposite of freedom. And these verses show us the black and white truth is that a life with habitual sin is a life absent of Christ's freedom. A life with habitual sin, when you are known as someone who has those sins in your life, that means you are absent of Christ's freedom. And oftentimes, we're following things that we believe to be freedom giving. We believe like, oh, I'm, I'm choosing this, right? This is my decision. But the result, the reward of those things that we choose is pretty horrible. It is to not inherit the kingdom of God, as Paul says. And we can look for a loophole when it comes to sin. But Paul says, if this is what your life is resulting in, then you need to realize what kingdom you're serving. And as Christians, we know the Bible talks about two kingdoms that are available. There's the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of darkness. And that is where Satan is king. It's actually not where we are king. We think that we are king when we are pursuing our sinful nature, when we're pursuing what comes natural to us apart from God. But we're not actually king. Actually, we're not king anywhere, really. The choice is who are we gonna serve? Not where are we gonna be king? Where are we gonna rule? The choice is who are we going to serve? When we think we're ruling, when we think we have the choice, when we think we're in operating in our own freedom, that's really just our sinful nature. And we're actually just living absent of Christ's freedom. And Paul goes on to talk about the better way, the good news that Jesus offers as a solution. In verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. 
this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? This is a verse that may be very familiar to you. It was very familiar to me. And I was actually so excited when Pastor Caleb said that I was going to speak on this passage because this fall, I heard somebody speak on the fruit of the Spirit and it transformed my thinking of the fruit of the Spirit. Because so often we're like, yes, I want to be known as that person, right? Like I want to be known as peaceful. I want to be known as someone who brings joy into a situation. And so we get, um, we get all about that, right? We're like, okay, I'm going to work on being more loving, right? Okay, so here's three steps to being more loving. And one, two, three, there's my steps. I'm going to be more loving, right? Or, man, here's ways you can be a peacemaker in your home. And I feel like I've sat under so many sermons or topics. I probably preached so many sermons about those things, right? But... So often we're focusing on the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is not the goal. The fruit of the Spirit is not the goal. The goal of a Spirit-filled life is not the fruit of the Spirit. It is life with the Spirit. It is life with the Spirit. When I heard that, that just blew my mind. It is not about the fruit. It's about life with the Holy Spirit. You know, I am a typical white woman in my 30s. I'm very cliche, and I like true crime. That's one thing that happens when you're a white woman in your 30s is typically you like true crime. Um, I don't mean to exclude anybody from that, but I just know that I'm a walking cliche in that way. And that's okay. I've come to terms with it. Um, I love the documentaries. I love the podcasts. I love it all. I have a line, like, I won't listen to stuff about missing children because that's too much for me as a mom. Like, can't go there. But, you know, missing women, you know, you murders, like, totally, I'll listen to that. And um, I was trying to think back, like, where did this start? And I think that it started with O.J. Simpson. Right? I think it's his fault. And, um, and so we won't talk about, like, all of that. But I think it started with that because I remember where I was. Like, I was in lunch line in sixth grade when I heard about O.J. Simpson um, and the verdict that came down and all that stuff. And I think that it just ignited this curiosity in me and probably a lot of people my age, my demographic, and we love to hear the details, right? And sometimes it gets a little too much. It's not entertainment, right? It's a real person's life. And so we need to keep that in mind. But um, what really, like is motivating about true crime. When, when you look at the prosecutors, when you look at um, the defendant, when you look at what they're doing, right, in a courtroom, is they're trying to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt, right? Or they're trying to prove that there is reasonable doubt. Either way, that's what they're trying to do. And so they come in with a bunch of evidence, right? Typically, there's not like a smoking gun. It's just all these little things that amount to a jury being able to decide if there's a reasonable doubt or if there's not a reasonable doubt. And that is what the fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't prove our salvation, right? You're not like, oh, well, you're super loving, so you must follow Jesus and you must go to heaven, right? It's not that or the opposite way. Like the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of a spirit-filled life. It's the evidence. It's the mounting evidence that, yeah, I am on track with God. I'm I'm following the voice of the spirit because I'm being transformed in these areas. Some mounting evidence because a life 
that is led by the Spirit, it cannot help but produce the fruit of the Spirit. It can't help but produce it. You know, you think about gardening. I'm really, I'm horrible at gardening, but I've heard, you know, when you like have a tree or something, like say you have an apple tree and say you just decided, well, I am just gonna water this apple. You know, I'm gonna put fertilizer on this apple. Like that's not gonna do anything for the tree, right? You don't need to focus on the fruit of the tree. You need to focus on the root. That's what we look to as Christians. We don't focus on the fruit and trying to get better at all of these things. We focus on the root of our relationship with God, of being led by the Holy Spirit. And so when you follow your desires, when we follow our sinful nature, what seems natural, what seems right to us, apart from the word of God, apart from the Bible and the leading of the Spirit, the fruit is that first list. The fruit is greed. The fruit is lust. The fruit is um, all, all those things, right? The fruit is anger. The fruit is idolatry. The fruit is jealousy. That's the fruit of following your sinful nature. And what does Paul say the reward of following your sinful nature is? He says it is not the kingdom of God. But then the fruit of following the spirit, of living a life led by the spirit is all those things that just sound so wonderful and light and free is love, joy, kindness, peace. All of those things are the fruit. And either way, those things show what kingdom we are ultimately citizens of. And so the great paradox of this Christian life is we cannot do enough good to earn our way to the kingdom. We cannot do enough good to do that, right? But what we do shows if we are being transformed. What we do shows what kind of relationship with God we have. And so we talk about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in in simplest terms is the place where God is king. Where God is king, that is the kingdom of God. Being citizens of the new kingdom, it doesn't change God. God is king. It changes us. If we decide to be a citizen of God's kingdom, that describes who we're putting as king, right? God is still king whether or not we decide to follow God or not. And so we have to decide, are we going to be subject to God's rule? And if we are, we should see some fruit in our life. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 7. He says in verse 16, he says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus is saying, my followers, the citizens of my kingdom will be identifiable. You'll be able to see their fruit. You'll be able to tell. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, you'll be able to see the work in their life. Paul continues, I want to keep reading in Galatians 5, verse 24. He says this, he says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, 
Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I love these verses. I think they bring me so much hope, so much excitement. Because Paul is talking about, as Christians, we do not gradually kill sin. We do not just put sin on a scale and say, okay, I'm just gonna wean myself off of sin. As Christians, Paul says, those who belong to Christ have nailed their passions to the cross. We have nailed our sinful nature. We have nailed every desire to the cross in order to follow the Spirit's leading. And oftentimes we don't live that way. Oftentimes, instead of nailing it to the cross, we compartmentalize it. Oftentimes we say, okay, well, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna use that language at church, but I'll use that language at home. I'm not gonna use that language or for, for students. I'm not gonna use that language at home, but I'll use that language at school. I'm not gonna behave one way in one area, but I'm gonna behave differently. And Paul's saying, those who belong to Christ nail that sin to the cross. They nail it to the cross. I think it's wild, and I was reflecting on this, it's wild that Jesus died for our sins thousands of years ago, yet we still haven't nailed them to the cross. Jesus has already paid for it, and we're like, oh, I'm gonna keep this a little longer. That is so convicting to me. Like, Jesus paid the price for it. He's the one who paid the price. I didn't even have to do anything, and I'm still holding on to this. Man, I wanna do what Paul says and nail it to the cross. And what is so exciting to me about these verses is that Paul says that we can nail it to the cross. Paul says that we can do that, so that means it's possible. That means it's actually possible to nail those desires to the cross. Those desires that people have told you are natural, those desires that people have told you, oh, that's just a part of our family. That's something our family struggles with. It's always been this way. It's possible to nail those to the cross and walk away transformed. It is possible. That's what Paul says. We can nail it to the cross and crucify them and now go on with the Spirit's leading. And really, this is a big thing for us because the depth of our relationship with God, it's revealed by the depth that the Spirit leads us. If we are not letting the Spirit lead us, we are not gonna have a deep relationship with God. We are not gonna have a fulfilling and a flourishing life with God. And Paul is really implying an intentional decision for every believer to make. And he's not talking about the depth of how good we follow the rules. He's not talking about, man, how loving are you? How loving are you determines how much you follow God. How, how, much, how well you follow the law is determining how you follow God, right? Paul has said in the previous chapters, that is not what it's about. It's about the spirit leading us. And sometimes we get a little bit hijacked with holiness and, and being uh, people who are holy and set apart. 
But instead, holiness is just the result of a spirit-filled life. The spirit will lead us into deeper and deeper holiness. But holiness, again, is not what we seek. We seek to be led by the spirit. That comes out of a relationship with the spirit, but it's not what we seek. I've heard it illustrated in this way. Suppose I told you that there's a new commandment that archaeologists found, okay? Stick with me. Indiana Jones is on the case. He found the Ark of the Covenant. It's amazing. He found the Ark of the Covenant. They go to open it, and they find the tablets. They find the Ten Commandments. They figured out they forgot to check the back, and so there's an 11th commandment on there. They just didn't flip it over. I mean, come on, right? And so they found the 11th commandment, and the 11th commandment is this. Ready for it? Thou shalt not think of a purple elephant. That's the 11th commandment. Transformative, right? Thou shalt not think of a purple elephant. Well, suddenly everyone in this room just thought of a purple elephant, right? Everyone just imagined a purple elephant. As much as you might try right now, you can't help but think of Dumbo that's purple, right? You can't help it right? You're probably still thinking of a purple elephant. You're probably thinking like, how would that work? Like, did they drink something weird? Like, I'm really kind of confused, right? So what if while I'm talking to you about this purple elephant, suddenly in front of you appears your all-time favorite dessert, right? Imagine what that would be. Maybe it's like a chocolate sundae with like whipped cream. And maybe if you like cherries, there's a cherry on there. Or maybe there's like bananas foster and it's just sizzling right before you. Maybe it's a cheesecake. Maybe you're a pie person. Whatever your favorite dessert is, it's right there in front of you, just ready for you to enjoy. But suddenly you're not thinking about a purple elephant anymore, are you? Right? You're not thinking of a purple elephant. Who cares? I've got the best dessert in the world right in front of my face. And that is life with the Holy Spirit. Life with the Holy Spirit is so good. It's right there in front of your face, just waiting for you to dive in. And suddenly it is so amazingly easy to resist sin. It is so amazingly easy to put aside our sinful nature because, man, I have life with the Spirit available to me. Man, if I'm at wild parties, if I'm drunk, how will I hear the Spirit leading me? Man, if I'm just caught up in division and anger and thinking about wrongs that people have done to me, how will I hear what God has for my life? Man, if I'm caught up in in laziness, if I'm just sitting playing video games for hours on end, if I'm sitting watching Netflix and doing nothing else and numbing my mind to what God has to say to me, I will miss out. You know, Moses actually had this kind of relationship with God. In Deuteronomy chapter nine, where God's giving him the real 10 commandments, not the fake ones. God's giving him the real 10 commandments. And in verse nine, it talks about how Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights just talking with God. He didn't eat, he didn't have any water. He just hung out with God. Do you think that 
he was like, I'm gonna fast because I want something from God. I'm gonna stay up here, I'm not gonna have water. I just want something from God. No. Do you think that he was like, oh, I better go up there and fast because my church is doing the Daniel fast and I better act like I'm doing it. No. He was just with God. He just lost track of time. He was just enjoying his relationship with God. We have to let the spirit lead us in a deep way like that. That's something that we have to decide for ourselves. You might think, well, Susie, that's super unrealistic. I'm not gonna take 40 days and not eat and not sleep. And, And that's fine, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that type of relationship is available to us where we hear the spirit where we're in relationship with the spirit and everything else just fades away. Everything else just doesn't even matter anymore. You know, repentance is the act of where you were going one direction and you hear the voice of God and you turn. You, you stop going that one direction and you go the literal opposite direction. That is repentance. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in our life. You know, for me, there was a time when my husband and I, we lived in California for four years and my pastor preached a message. I don't remember what book it was on. I don't remember the name of the sermon, but I remember the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I remember I was going one way in my life. I was so just like, I had to have control over things. I had to have control over situations. And it was so bad that like, even down to the little things, like if we got lost, like when we were going somewhere and we got lost and I had to go the wrong way to get back on the right way, it made me so angry. Like, oh, it just infuriated me. And in that moment, in that sermon, that moment I had with the Holy Spirit, he convicted me of my issues that I had. And I turned, I repented, I turned away. That doesn't mean that it's not sometimes a struggle, but I have nailed that desire to the cross. I've nailed that desire to the cross. It is not a desire anymore. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to bring out those desires that maybe you've sensed are just a part of who you are And the Holy Spirit's saying, doesn't have to be that way. There's a better way. There's a way with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. There's a way. And I can transform the desires, the very desires of your heart. And sometimes our biggest problem is that we do not turn immediately. Sometimes our biggest problem is that we decide, oh, I'm just gonna wean myself off of this. But God is saying through his word, crucify those desires, nail them to the cross. Do not delay. So this morning, there's two different responses that I feel led that we have today. And the first is to nail those desires to the cross. If you have a desire, if you have something that's a part that you have even said, like, this is a part of me, right? This is just who I am. I would encourage you, 
believe what Paul writes, that it is possible to nail that desire to the cross. It is possible. There is nothing that our God cannot do. And it's time for you to have faith for your own life. It's time for you to stop having faith for other people that you don't have for yourself. Have the faith that God can transform you today. You can walk out of here without those desires. That is amazing, incredible offer. And the second thing is for those of you who are like, I don't feel like I have a desire. I would encourage you today, find time, find more time to put yourself in a position to hear God, to put yourself in a position to walk with the spirit on a deeper level. So I'm gonna ask you, if you have a response that you feel God is leading you to, maybe it's a desire that you need to nail to the cross today. I wanna ask you to use that response card that's in the seat back in front of you. You don't need to write your name on it. You can just write whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you and write that on the card and the worship team is gonna lead us as we invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And we're gonna lay these at the altar. There's nothing special about these steps, but there is something special about when you actually respond to the Spirit and you don't delay. There's something so special about doing that. So we're gonna be led in a moment, but will you grab that card if that's something that the Spirit is leading you to? I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. And as they lead us, you can take that card and leave it here. You don't need to, again, don't write your name on this, but write what the Spirit is leading you to crucify to the cross and lay it at the altar. God, we just pray right now over every person that's sensing your spirit. I pray, God, you would give them boldness in this moment to respond to what you're saying. God, I pray they wouldn't be ashamed of walking forward. I pray they would know that they are in a family that loves them, that's cheering them on, that's right there with them. God, would you lead us? Would you reveal areas of our heart, God, that are hard, areas that we've decided are just who we are, that you want to transform? God, would you transform us and speak to us in this moment? In Jesus' name, come now.